emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host, Ron Baker. And on today's show, Ron, we are taking down, trickle down. Right on. It's about time. Yeah, no, Ron... Every so often, all right, all right. No, maybe that's not right. Quite, whatever. Maybe, maybe it's more often than not is the correct phrase. We do a show that's for us, <laughs> right? That pretty, pretty much like maybe your dad will listen to, maybe. Um, and that's that's about it. And I think that this might be the show. Here's the thing, though. I think I think we've had have attracted a number of people based on the title of this show who think that we are going to be taking down trickle down and that we're going to be railing on it and saying what a stupid idea these you know tax cuts are and why we you know etc and let me just start on record for those of you who want to you know press stop right now or just turn us off that it's the exact it's the exact opposite and what i love about this ron is that there's an irony in this because what we hope to do in this show is reverse some long-standing thinking by people on on all sides of this issue about this topic, and I was inspired and and heard this earlier today. Here's here's the latest and greatest example of continuing to um, promulgate this notion of of trickle down economics, right? Uh, or and why it's a problem or, or misunderstanding it. And that is, someone was asked, and this is a very smart person whom I respect. I'm not going to give it away, but it was a very, very smart person who was asked, why does Bitcoin have value? Right? Right. And the person's response, who normally is a high degree of respect for, said, well, because it takes a lot of electricity and computing power to mine the Bitcoin. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the labor theory of value. <laughs> the electrical the, theory of value. The electrical labor theory of value. <laughs> right? Mm. And that, that that's why it's a store of value because of this. And it's like, okay, once again, you're reasoning from the cost or demand side of the equation and not the supply side. Right? And and and, it, and everybody who was listening to this person thought that this was an extraordinarily intelligent answer and it made total sense to everyone but it's precisely wrong it's it's a hundred percent wrong yep. and I, this is what we need to reverse well I totally agree I mean and let let's start at your favorite topic with this let's just talk about ling- linguistics here I realized that words and terms change and although trickle down is mostly, used as a pejorative not always there are incredibly positive uses of this from people on who 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 agree with supply side economics rush limbaugh who's who's no slouch when it comes to forensic skills Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah this term on his radio show and every time he does i pull my hair out because he said (laughs) something to the effect of trickle down is how the economy works I'm not arguing against the linguistics of of this at all. My argument is the label trickle-down, whether you're for it or against it, does not explain how the economy works. And, you know, Thomas Sowell said somewhere, I think in a syndicated column, it can take 23 pages to refute a bumper sticker. And... (laughs) and, And that's how I feel about this topic. But, you know, Ed, I kind of equate it. See if you see if you make this link. I don't know why I did, but I, I, I remember when Ronald Reagan announced the Strategic Defense Initiative. 
Yep, Star Wars. Star Wars. It's the same kind of thing. It, it, you know, Star Wars was kind of a pejorative, but even people mm-hmm. who supported SDI would use that, you know, because mm-hmm. it got it got accepted into the culture. But it didn't explain what really SDI was, right? It was a caricature. And th- that's what's going on here. I mean, we're arguing against a, a caricature instead of talking about how an economy really works. And I'll just say this up front. The reason I'm a supply side economist is because I'm not a Keynesian. I think Keynes was wrong (laughs) because there's more to supply side economics than tax cuts for crying out loud. There's a lot more to it. Yeah. Tax cuts is, is, but, but one of the things that's what always brings it to the forefront. That's what, what, why we talk about it, because it, as with the latest tax changes that are uh, occurring uh, or that have occurred, the, the, the tune gets brought out. Oh, well, you know, here we go. It's the same old trickle down theory that they're trying to, you know, p- pull off on us. These tax cuts for the rich and how that's going to trickle down to the poor. Right. And, and I think th- that that's where the, the misunderstanding begins. Right. Is that. First off, that that all trickle down economics is is tax cuts to the rich. So that's that that that's that's the biggest problem, right? Is it's only describing maybe what, Ron? If you were to put a percentage on it, what are tax cuts with regard to the supply side? 15 percent of what it's talking about? Yeah, maybe a third. I mean, you know, maybe they, a third. they okay. So you they, give they, it a little bit higher than me. They, okay. Yeah, they they do focus a lot on it. If you read the history of supply side economics, and I've got a book here, Ed, that is the so far it's the only scholarly history ever written on the supply side movement, um, and and we'll talk about that. But th- and that was certainly emphasis in the. Remember, this kind of grew up in the seventies, even though we'll date it back to nineteen fifty eight. By the way, but no, even before that. Even oh, before oh yeah. That. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm talking about its modern incantation. Yes, yeah. we go back to John Baptist say. I, I get that. Um, and, and, of course, that's another thing we have to talk about. We have to talk about Say's Law in, in all of right. this as well. It's another big part of it. But in the modern era, the supply-side movement grew in the 70s during the stagflation days and, you know, with the tax cuts in the 70s, first the capital gains cut during the Carter years, and then, of course, Reagan ushered in his his tax cut. But it needs to be said, Ed, that what has trickled down from supply-side economics is they, they won the debate on taxes. It's really hard to find a country that has 90 70%, you know, 60% tax rates anymore. You look around the mm-hmm. world and tax rates, marginal tax rates have been slashed. Now, yes, they've inched back up here and there, but that debate has been won. And you have, we have the supply-siders to, to thank for that. Yes. Well, with the inheritance now of, of inheritance taxes, which seem to have in the last five or 10 years come back with, with just an absolute vengeance and, you know, even proposals of 100% inheritance tax taxes in some cases, which is insane crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, you know, I know we, we're, we looked at another book that actually was a monograph or an essay that Thomas Sowell wrote called trickle down theory and tax cuts for the rich. And he published this in 2012. And what he says in there is that there's no such theory found even in the most voluminous and learned histories of economic theories. In fact, in one of his syndicated columns, he challenged anybody to name any economist who advocated a quote-unquote trickle-down theory. And lots of people named people who quoted that from somebody else but couldn't, you know. (laughs) Krugman said somebody said it. (laughs) <laughs> yes, and I'm and I'm going to I'm going to talk about Krugman and I'm going to tell you why Krugman was wrong. Um on when we get into this book Econoclass, which is the scholarly history of the supply side movement. And when I say scholarly, I mean based on history based on primary sources, not secondary and tertiary, primary yeah. sources. 
Well, Ron, we're going to take our break here, but I want to give a shoulder roll for the, the segment after, and I promise we're not going to be just you know as boring. I, I, if we haven't lost everybody already, um, I want you to stick around because what we'll start off with, Ron, coming back from the next segment is let, let's just 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 talk about what is in play today. This like what is what is demand side what is demand side versus supply side. So just some basic definitions that are understandable to people, and I think are going to have a real impact on how you make business decisions in the future. So that's that's where we're we're coming in all this is it's not just necessarily two guys talking about economics in these broad terms but Ron and I both think that these both ideas have serious implications with regard to how you should run your business and what you should do inside of it so but right now we want to remind you that you can get a hold of us by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com of course the website is thesoulofenterprise.com where we have show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows out there but right now a word from our sponsor leading results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about taking down trickle-down here, Ed. And let's talk about this difference between demand-side economics and supply-side economics. Um, the way I think about this is your demand power as a consumer, as a human being, is determined by your supply power, right? If mm-hmm. you think about this, production is the cause of consumption. It's not its consequence, right? You produce first, and we produce in order to consume. So your demand power is in proportion to your supply power, whether you're a business or an individual selling your labor in the market. And the way I really simplistically think about this, but I think it's pretty good analogy, is if you think about a family, (laughs) kids are little demand siders that don't (laughs) really produce anything, and parents are the supply siders, Mm -hmm. right? And and that's kind of how I, I think about this. The action in an economy happens on the supply side. Not demand is as Gilder says, demand's ubiquitous. It explains nothing. Mm-hmm. What matters is the supply side. That's where we get the innovation, the new technologies, the new jobs, that you know, all of that. It's on the mm-hmm. supply side. Well, and I think where people get confused is they is they think, well, that you know, there's demand, meaning there's demand of of people for food. Right, I I need food in all order to sustain sustain myself. Sure. Right, so they think of it like in a very base level. Okay, I I need an, a certain amount of food in order to continue my my existence as a as a as a human being on this planet. So therefore, I need. Right, therefore, that's where everything starts from. My 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 want of consumption in order to feed myself and continue to continue to function. Right, I need water. I need a certain amount of 
you know, carbohydrates or a certain amount of calories per day, however you want to look at it in order to continue to exist. So it, therefore, it all starts with demand, right? And he says, well, we, you know, that that's where it is. We have demand for housing. People want to live in nice houses. Um, people people want to want to have nice cars there's a demand for iPhones right that that we we always talk about well the demand is up for this uh demand is up for for um for for bitcoin right so it start it starts with this notion of demand but and, and I think the the best description that I've seen of Cezal is actually in, off of the the website I found Invest Investopedia, which is an awkward name, right? But and they call it Say's Law of Markets, and I'm just going to read this because I think it this this makes it really clear, at least or at least it did to me, right? And it's that the economic rule that says production is the source of demand. Now that then gets shortened to supply creates its own dem- demand, which is not right because they go on further to say this. When an individual produces a product or service, or we would argue add the word knowledge in there as well, right? Yeah. He, he or she gets paid for that work and then is able to use that pay to demand other things, right? So, so and, and as, as you put it, if you want to put this in a mathematical formula or in, in an algebraic equation, it's supply of X creates demand for Y, Right. And I think that's that that's the missing piece where people don't don't realize that we're talking about you have to first give in order to receive. Right. You, you must give in order to receive. Well, as the great G- George Gilder put puts it in his book, uh, Wealth and Poverty, it, it gets refuted into you know, de- this demand side, which if you were to, to biblicize it would be take and you will be given unto, or need, and you will be given unto. Well, that's that's completely wrong, completely backwards. Just because you need something doesn't make it appear. Right. No, that's a great point. And, you know, buying power does not essentially trickle down as wages, or it doesn't even flow up uh, in a way as profits and savings. It originates with productive work at any level, mm-hmm. right? As a laborer, give, and you will be given unto. It doesn't mean that... You know, say said, well, the the uh, the output is always going to be enough. Uh, your supply, creation of supply, is always going to be enough to to purchase the output. And people said, well, but does that mean that the automobile manufacturers, you know, the employees that make cars, they're they're going to buy nothing but cars? What if they make too many cars? Say understood there could be gluts in markets. There could be misforecasts. You know, a car company could make too many cars and have too much inventory and have to cut price. And and yes, that could maybe cause a recession. But what he said was that oh, the economy as a whole, the supply always has to equal the demand. In effect, because mm-hmm. your 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 demand power is only as good as your supply power. Yep. And what I find absolutely amazing about this, and again, this is from from Gilder's book, is as as so many of the the, the Keynesians who are you know demand siders. They, they they missed that even Karl Marx understood this, right? <laughs> because <laughs> yes. you know Karl, Karl Marx did not want to control the means of supply, right? <laughs> or yeah. or the means, right? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, he didn't want to nationalize demand, <laughs> right? He didn't want to nationalize demand. That's exactly right. You can't, you know, we wanted to nationalize the means of supply. That's what he wanted to do. I said it. I said it opposite. But th- 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 he he understood that it was it was the supply side where all the action was. <laughs> and, and Ed, if you think about this, every economy has unlimited demand. I mean, even in North Korea. They they have uh, you know they have wants and desires and, and 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 an unlimited demand, but there are no new there are there are no demand, uh, or there's no demand for new or unknown goods. You know what was the demand curve for an iPod twenty years ago, or for Google, or you know LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever? It didn't exist, and this is why the innovation and the creativity happens on the supply side, and and by and large consumption doesn't need encouragement we're all consumers but production does need encouragement and hence that's where you get into the tax cuts to make risk taking and entrepreneurialism and investment and savings worth more on an after tax mm-hmm. basis and then you'll get more of it hence you'll get more production and and i just want to relate this back cuz i said i would i think the reason why this is critical for for small business people even sole proprietors to understand is that if you if you understand this notion that it is it is about 
you know, creating this supply that al- that allows you then to create demand, well, then you're always going to be the for- on the forefront of thinking, what is it that I can do better, faster, cheaper, smarter for someone else that will create value for them that I can get then a price for that they could because they if they were to try to do it themselves, either they couldn't or it would cost them considerably more to try to do it themselves. Right. So right. It, I, I think this is this is a this is a fundamental belief. This is one of those, you know, it's related to zero sum game in a lot of ways, too. But it's one of those fundamental business beliefs that we we have we, we have that that businesses exist in order to to uh, create uh, create demand for their products. Right. Yep. And it's like, no, no, no. Business exists in order to innovate to create a supply so that so that they can be demanded. And you know what? Sometimes you create a product, there ain't no demand for it. And that's <laughs> that, that's the way it goes, right? Because yeah. you haven't thought through what it's what's what's supposed to be a value to your end customers. You know, just like we talk about the difference between cost plus pricing and value-based pricing where in a, in a value-based pricing world, in the real world, the way this really works is a business has to fit its cost structure around the price its its customers are willing to pay, right? Mm-hmm. And this, this is the problem with the post office, right? They think, well, we have these burgeoning labor costs and fuel costs and all these things, so we have to up the rate of postage stamps and their customers are leaving them in droves, right, and going to other alternatives because they haven't adjusted their cost structure to the price based upon the value that they can charge. And it, it's kind of the same thing here. When you talk about how an economy works, it you know, John Ginneth Galbraith called this the trickle-down theory. He called it like uh, the horse and sparrow metaphor. He said, mm-hmm. you know, horses fed oats, some will pass through to the road for the sparrows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but 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 that's not how an economy works. If you think about any entrepreneur. Workers are hired first. Suppliers are hired and paid first, right? Before there's any output even, let alone mm-hmm. profit from that output. The, this is not a trickle down. Like like Gilder says, this can happen at any level. Mm-hmm. So trickle down is just, a, it's just a rotten metaphor to explain how a dynamic economy works. Right. And, and if anything, it's trickle up. Right, and if, I'm not, well, I'm not somewhat. I mean, I'm not even. I'm not even sure of that. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's. It's. I mean, sometimes it can be, but not always. It, not it's always. Just, yeah. It's. It's really just. It's just really based on exchange. But the risk-taking element of what the entrepreneur is doing by paying everything for you know he's giving long like Gilder says he's giving long before he's getting, mm-hmm. right? Supply. And and you will be given unto, right? Given mm-hmm. you will be given unto, um, right? And, and he's doing that, but with and here's the kicker: no certain return. If he wanted a certain return, he'd invest his money in the bank or the stock market and get an interest rate. But an uncertain return is what entrepreneurship offers, and and hence that's the key difference. So, and this is what Gilder got Gilder in trouble with Ayn Rand, but he said this was an act of altruism because. You were giving to all these people, suppliers, you were hiring people, you were paying them first long before you got any, you know, return, if at all. Mm-hmm. Correct. And that's an act of benevolence or altruism. And of course, that's a key word in, in <laughs> with objectivists. For the objectivists, yeah. 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 But I think he's right. Yeah, no, no, I, I completely agree he's right. And then, you know, hence, hence his great phrase that profit for the most part is a is an indicator of your altruism because it, it it measures the, the 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 difference between the value that you or your firm have created versus the 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 cost that it took you to produce that right so it it it, it it's it, in in some effect an and an a measurement of your benevolence toward others yeah i mean this kind of gets bastardized in some sense because you hear people say well i've never gotten a job from a poor person right it's it's Mm -hmm. you know people like elon musk and jeff bezos that (laughs) hire all these people and pay them even before they make any money and there's there's a grain of truth to that it goes back to soul's point that you know it takes 23 pages to refute a bumper sticker but that's not the only dynamic going on in an economy and 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 the purpose of an economy is not just to create jobs 
<laughs> I mean, if General Motors could produce 9 million cars with one human being, you better bet they do it. They don't <laughs> exist to, you know, they don't exist to, to employ people or provide health insurance. They, they exist to provide cars to people. Or, or they should. Actually, General Motors is a tough example because they're really just a pension well, fund that happens to make cars now. True, so. true. Let's use Toyota. But. <laughs> there you go. Toyota is a better example. All right. Well, we're up against our next break, Ron. And, and I think where we you know, potentially go in the in the future on this is, is maybe understanding a little bit of how the tax stuff does fit in because we will admit that that's part of the equation. But I think it's so important to emphasize this notion of supply. But right now, I want to remind you, you can contact me or Ron via our website, thesoulofenterprise.com. We have a special offer out there right now. If you go to thesoulofenterprise.com slash ALA, and the ALA stands for Access Level Agreement, you can download a free white paper that I wrote for SAGE on creating access level agreements, and then also an opportunity right on that same page to sign up for our newsletter. And if you do that before the end of March, we will send you a free copy of our ebook in a Mobi edition, Mobi format that you should be able to get onto your Kindle or other reading device without too much trouble. But right now, a word from our sponsor, Abacus Next. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Results CRM, the award-winning Abacus Next product, is a customer relationship management solution that will automate your business processes, streamline workflows, and deliver consistent results. Cloud-enabled to provide access to your users anytime from anywhere. Grow your business in 2018 with the number one QuickBooks CRM. To learn more about Results CRM, visit ResultsCRM.com. Clouds come in all shapes and sizes, and the Abacus Private Cloud is the perfect fit. Abacus Cloud enables all the desktop apps you know and love while providing unparalleled security to your business. Cloud functionality gives you the flexibility to work where you want, when you want, and from any device you want. Don't waste countless hours managing IT. Take back your time. Learn more at abacusnext.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, boy, oh boy, Ron, this is, this is such a, a tough topic. I, I, in preparing for the show and, and the reading that I was doing, I had a, this pervading thought, God, this makes my hair hurt. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it, because it, it, is, it is tough. There are so many twists and turns to this. It, it's almost like a good mystery novel in a lot of ways that you know what you're what you're what you're expecting what is what what is normally thought of as as the as the the outcome that most people look to is is actually not it's the complete opposite in a lot of ways and one of the things that i learned and this was in in reading that monograph that you mentioned earlier by thomas ole called trickle down theory and tax cuts for the rich how th- this phrase trickle down i mean i don't know if this is the first known uh, example of it, but a speechwriter by Franklin from for Franklin Roosevelt is uh, Samuel Rosenman said in 1921 that the object of the government was to provide prosperity for those who lived and worked at the top of the economic period pyramid in the belief that it would trickle down to the bottom of the heap and benefit all. Right. right. 
it, and so, yeah, Ed, I think that is one of the first times I've seen it. Now, the same argument was made by Willi William Jen Jennings Bryan in the famous Cross a Gold speech from 1896, mm -hmm. but he didn't use the term trickle down, I don't believe. I didn't mm -hmm. go back and read that speech, but he was making that argument. Yes. Yes. And, you know, what, what's, I, what, and here's one of those twists, the ironies in here. And now, now this is specifically addressing the tax cuts that happened in the 1920s, right? Where then output did rise, which is a separate issue. I want to keep, keep in the important that the tax cuts and the rising output output are it's it's secondary issues i don't necessarily think that that's the 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 cause per se because it frees up uh, that pe people to want to be able to produce but here's the ironic thing this was the, these were put forward by the the uh, uh his name is andrew mellon right was the, right. the secretary of the treasury at the time right and you know he he got a lot of pushback from Congress, who you know kept saying to him, no, no, no we you can't you can't we we can't lower the taxes on the rich. That's just going to you know make people angry at us because we're lowering taxes on the rich. And he tried to point out to him, it's like, look, there's a difference between the tax rate and what we collect. Revenue, right? And what we collect. Revenue. Yeah, yeah, right. It's yeah. Like, look, in 1921, the tax rate on people making over a hundred thousand dollars a year was 73 percent, and the federal government collected a little over 700 million dollars in taxes, right? And 30 percent of which was paid by those making over ten thousand. I'm sorry, a hundred thousand dollars at the time. By 1929, so before the, the the Great Depression hit, the rate had been cut to 24 percent. On those making over a hundred thousand dollars a year, and the federal government collected more than a billion dollars, which was sixty-five percent was collected from those over making over a hundred thousand dollars. And this has happened time after time after time. It happened with with Kennedy. It happened yes. with Reagan. It, it happens over and over again that that just because you're cutting the tax rate does not necessarily mean that you're cutting the amount that are paid. By those, by those, the, those who are more wealthy, and we, and we had the exact same freaking argument this year. <laughs> it was, I know, it made me nuts. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, even Nancy Pelosi said when some of these, you know, these three hundred companies or whatever, it's been started giving bonuses, raising their benefits, raising their minimum wages, like Walmart did as a result of the the, the Trump tax cuts. Or I should say Congress tax cuts. They're the ones that originate, you know, tax law comes out of Congress, not the president. But either way, she said, all oh, this is just, you know, Nancy Pelosi said, all oh, this is just crumbs on the plate. It, mm -hmm. it, kind of using that trickle down metaphor, but it's, it's not crumbs on the plate. This is real wealth that we're talking about, because if you cut taxes, that makes the future prospects of investments on an after tax return basis higher. And you're going to get mm -hmm. more of it. And uh, a lot of that's going to flow down to the workers. But just back to your point about Andrew Mellon, Ed, you know, our Treasury Secretary under Harding and Coolidge, he did write a great book called Taxation, the People's Business, published in 1924. And I got a copy of this. And this was long before Amazon. And let me tell you, this was a pain in the neck book to find. But I, I hunted this thing down probably in every used bookstore I could ever get a hold of. And I finally found it. And he's got an example in here for tax returns that show a gross income over $300,000 in 1916 when the tax rate was 7%. The top marginal tax rate was 7%. Mm -hmm. There were 1,296 returns filed that showed an income over three hundred grand, collecting roughly $81 million for the federal government. In 1921... Top tax rate, no longer 7%, 77%. Number of returns over 300,000 drops from 1296 to 246. 80% of those earning over 300 grand magically disappeared. Now, do you think those people died? Do you think they <laughs> left the country? No, they rearranged their affairs so they don't have to pay taxes. And how do they do that? Well, they, they go into uh, tax-exempt securities. So mm -hmm. here we have, and this is, this is fantastic, and Mellon knew this, and he told Congress this in speeches and whatnot. He said, we have Congress that creates these loopholes, right? They can engage in class warfare rhetoric for votes, 
and, and jack up the top marginal rates, but they can keep the donations from wealthy people coming because they give the wealthy the tax-exempt securities they can invest in to avoid these high rates. Mm-hmm. What a great deal. Yep. Well, and double bonus, and, then I, and I was thinking about this, and I don't recall seeing this in the text, but uh, what, what, what are the most common tax-exempt securities? Government bonds. Government bonds, state, state and local, state government. and local government bonds, which is mm. a subsidy for them to build California Stonehenge and you know other <laughs> boondoggle and bridges to nowhere and all sorts of really interesting things. Yeah, yep, yep. So yeah, once so and get, what's the least efficient way to spend money? Somebody else's money on somebody else, right? Yes. So so now so now you've got government bonds that are that are that are you know issuing all of these projects. Who do they go to? Back to the to the wealthy, to the owners who can build the Stonehenge, the Stonehenges, and and dare I say it? I know I get a lot of hate mail because of this Elon Musk who you know likes to take my money to produce his wonderful things, right? Now what, here's another one of the twists. Okay, I I I I want to starve government, right? <laughs> I, I want to absolutely starve it. So in a way, I should be against any of these tax cuts because I know what's going to happen is that the government is going to up with more money. <laughs> I know. It's the one argument I hate about being in, on <clears throat> on this side of the debate is your government's probably going to get more revenue in the long run as a result of these tax changes. But I'm I'm kind of agnostic on that because I rather see the reduction in the tax rates. It's it, to me it's a liberty issue, irrespective of what happens to government's revenue. But yeah, that is definitely <clears throat> one of the consequences from this, for sure. Well, uh, talk about why that is, because that's that's this whole Laffer curve thing, which you know, and, and look, now we're really dangering on bordering on putting everybody to sleep. The famous scene in Ferris Bueller that will put a clip up too with Ben Stein talking about the Laffer curve, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny you say that, Ed, because the first person to use the term supply side, not economics, he called them supply side fiscalists, was. Herbert Stein, the father of Ben Stein. <laughs> there you, you know, go. Bueller, Bueller fame. Uh, but uh, so supply side fiscalists, the people in the supply side movement said, oh, that's kind of cool. But they changed it to supply side economics and they picked up the moniker. But it came from Herbert Stein. But the Laffer curve, which was famously drawn on a cocktail napkin in a restaurant in Washington, D.C. in the 1970s by Arthur Laffer. And just mm -hmm. to put this in historical context, this was in December of 1974. It was at the Two Continents Restaurant in Washington, D.C., which I don't believe exists anymore, where Laffer drew this, this famous Laffer curve on the cocktail napkin. It's the only place he'd ever published it, really. He hadn't written about it. Now, this is an academic Ph.D. economist, Arthur Laffer. And present at this lunch was Jude Wininsky, who was a Wall Street Journal reporter and one of the early uh, founders of the supply side movement. Donald Rumsfeld. No, um, Rummy. Rummy no, was there. He was President Ford's chief of staff at the time. And then Rumsfeld's chief, de his deputy, Richard Cheney. <laughs> and that's who Laffer drew this curve for. And the curve, and we'll put a, a picture of this on the show notes, but you can easily Google Laffer curve and get all sorts of renditions of it. On on the uh, axis, on one axis is the tax rate going from zero to 100. And those are the only two numbers. He doesn't give the rest of the numbers. And then the bottom uh, uh, line is revenues. And if you draw the curve, it basically says there's two tax rates that will generate the same amount of revenue to the federal government. A zero tax rate will obviously generate zero revenue, but a 100% tax rate will create zero revenue as well because people will just stop working. If all the money is going to be taxed away, why work, right? right. And, and, and Ed, if you agree with that, then the numbers in the middle don't really matter and the shape of the curve and where the optimal revenue is for the government really doesn't matter. It's the power of those two zero and hundred rates that that really make the point. Because if you think about it, let's say on Monday your tax rate was twenty percent, on Tuesday your tax rate was forty percent, on Wednesday it was sixty, on Thursday it was eighty, and on Friday it was a hundred. Tell me what would happen. 
In fact, I'd only work Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> so you're already buying into the premise that taxes matter and incentives matter. And, and you know, tax is just a price uh, that the government imposes. The lower the price, the more the demand. Now, the it's, more it, it is such a brilliant point. It, it really is. I mean, it's a great curve, and there's lots of lessons. There's also just tons of books surrounding this topic. One of them is the one the guy just cited, Jude Wininsky, uh, who wrote a great book called The Way the World Works. Um, you know, the supply-side movement was a bunch of renegades. They, there, there was only a couple of academic economists in their ranks. Now, one was Art Laffer, but another guy, and this guy's largely forgotten, is a guy named Robert Mundell, who is a Nobel Prize-winning economist from Canada who won a Nobel Prize for his theories. And he is really the godfather, of, well, I should say the modern father of supply-side economics. He actually presented a paper in, in 1958 to, to Stanford about it, and it was written up. And it was more than just tax rate reductions. It was stable money from the government. It was it was a free trade. It was deregulation. It, it, you know, there's all sorts of legs to this stool just besides tax cuts. And, and, and that's why this makes your hair hurt. <laughs> and mine oh tax. my. <laughs> so, but I, I hope that provides a little bit of insight into it. And we can talk a little bit more at the last, uh, the last segment, but folks in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of Ed or myself, you can send us an email to ask, T-S-O-E at Verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. There is no blueprint for running the perfect firm. No way to know the challenges you'll face. But your journey does not have to be an odyssey. Experience what it is like for every part of your firm to be connected. Experience a practice management tool where everything is just a click away. Experience Office Tools. To learn more, visit officetools.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we're back. Ron, I'm going to try a Reagan impression for you. Reagan, you know, I have that Reagan quote that opens the show. So I'm going to try a little Reagan impression on you. Well, it is a paradoxical truth that today's tax rates are too high and tax revenues are too low. And the soundest way to raise those revenues in the long run is to cut tax rates now. That was pretty bad, Reagan. Um, and not only that, it's not Reagan who said that. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's, not it's John Kennedy. It's John, John Kennedy. <laughs> Yep. You can get oh, these yeah. clips. Uh, there's all sorts of websites that have the John Kennedy speech. I think it was either to the Detroit Economic Club or the New York Economic Club where yeah. he makes these famous uh, pledges. And you can even find a, a speech Woodrow Wilson delivered to Congress with much the same message mm-hmm. that tax rates are too high in peacetime and we should think about dropping them and that will actually increase government revenue. 
Um, great book out there by uh, Larry Kudlow and Brian Dimitrovich um, that is is the uh, JFK Revolution. Um, and it, it goes into the whole history of the JFK tax cuts, which were actually enacted by Lyndon Johnson after he was shot. But, Ed, just one more item on this tax cut issue. There's, there's, there's two effects that are constantly debated in economics when you talk about taxes, rather, whether you're talking about increasing them or decreasing them. The first effect right. is called the income effect. And this, and, and we see this every day, and you hear about this, and I've read about this, and I think Dan Ariely has talked about this, where the income effect basically says that if people have more money, then if they have a target income in mind, then once they hit that target, they'll just stop working. And if you cut their taxes, they'll hit the target faster and they'll stop working. And I've heard this like with taxi drivers. They'll come out on the road and they'll say, you know, I want to make a hundred bucks. Now, if they do it in the first two hours, they're done for the day. Right. That that would be the income effect, right? People have more money, so they'll they'll work less. The substitution effect is the other effect. And this one says work pays more relative to leisure, so people work more. Right? That, t- that ca- tag, uh, taxi driver says, oh, wow, I made 100 bucks in my first two hours. If I stay out here another eight, you know, I could mm-hmm. make four times more or whatever. So <laughs> the, here's the thing. Which one of these effects dominates? I happen to believe it's the substitution effect. And I think one of the interesting laboratory experiments, as close as we can get with humans, is why does Europe work less than America? Mm-hmm. I think it's their tax rates. Which are their effective rates, Ron, are still higher than ours? Effective rates. And marginal rates. And marginal rates. Okay. Because, I mean, I know that there's a lot of Europe that has has significantly cut taxes. I know the the so-called, you know, Scandinavian paradises, socialist paradises ain't what Bernie Sanders and his followers think they are. Right. 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 Um, But, uh, okay, You've got to account for the VAT in there as well, though, with, with that. That's true. And, and, and then you've got the national health care that complicates all that. But, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear. Like, what's that Beatles song? Um, you know, the tax man. The tax man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Lennon. Yeah, 19 for you, one for me. I mean, this this was back in the days when they, you know, 90, 90-something percent tax rates. 90, in some cases, even possibly over 100%. Over 100%. Frank Sinatra, I remember famously, had was was in a, in a place where if he, for every dollar he earned, he had to owe three in taxes. Right. And, and you know, this, this made John Lennon immigrate to the United States. Um, who, by the way, he sought William F. Buckley's help for, <laughs> which was really interesting. And Buckley wrote letters for him and, you know, and, and lobbied on his behalf to make him a U.S. citizen. Um, and if, if the film director, Ingmar Bergman, mm-hmm. he left his, you know, debated, devoted Switzerland. He left for uh, Belgium because mm-hmm. of tax rates. I mean, this was, and, and when he, and this is so funny, and there's, I, I've never seen a clip of this, but I've read this so many different places. When he deplaned in Belgium, reporters are all there. Ingmar, Ingmar, why are you coming to Belgium? He said, devoted to chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, tax evasion is, and, and avoidance is probably the world's oldest profession. Uh, probably so. Probably so. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, and and look, it, this continues to happen. I know there was a big write up in the Economist a number of years ago on on the the, the movement of soccer players and how they 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 can track tax tax rates by which country has has the best the best Premier Leagues, right? Because right? that's where right. where the soccer players go because they <laughs> keep more of their money, right? So pretty interesting stuff, uh, you know. Look, I, I think part of this, Ron, and and again, as I mentioned, it makes my hair hurt. But it, it is it is complex. But then I also think that there's there's a a clear uh, place at which bo- both sides, and I don't know if this is on purpose, but they they deviate from talking about the same issue, right? So to your point about the the substitution effects versus the income effect, you know, people will just pick one side of that and argue solely from that one side because that's that's the the bias that they have and one of the things that that popped out at me in in some of the reading on on this is that very often it's almost like 
I guess the, the best analogy I come up with is like it's like playing tennis on two different courts, right? Mm-hmm. So you know it's it's really not really productive if you're on a different court than I am, right? Because right. then, then we're just we're just hitting it over the net net to no one, right? Right. right. <laughs> so you know the, the 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 debate tends to argue these salient points, but you know one of the things that I I, I just want to get this in, and then I'll let you have the final word on this is a, th- this is from the Soul Book. He says those who attribute trickle down theory to others who are attribute are, are I'm sorry to others are attributing their own misperception to others, as well as distorting both the arguments used and the hard facts about what what actually happened after the recommended policies were put into effect. And I just thought that that was a, just that quote absolutely nailed what happens here. Yeah, I know. Very true. Very true. And, and you know, when I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm a supply sider, basically, because I'm not a Keynesian, you know, demand side economist. The demand side economists think you can run the economy, get out of recessions, control the business cycle with demand side, you either tax cuts or the government spends money. You know, they have their multiplier effect for every dollar the government spends. There'll be a, you know, two dollars in economic activity or whatever. And it's just, it's complete nonsense. It's like, uh, we can go out and dig ditches and refill them. Um, but, you know, Keynes tried to refute Say's law in his, in his famous book. And, and, and not only did he misunderstand Say's law, but he misrepresented it as well. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, the, the, this is one of the things that uh, soul has dealt with in his books. And there's, <clears throat> there's other books on say, but, um, I'll just leave with George Gilderad back again to wealth and poverty. He said, um, even in the short run, real aggregate demand is an effect of production, not of government policy. The only way tax policy can reliably influence real incomes is by changing the incentives of suppliers, right? And uh, mm-hmm. by altering the pattern of rewards to favor work over leisure, investment over consumption, the sources of production over the sumps of wealth, taxable over untaxable activity, um, you know, this is the supply side mandate. I mean, that's it. It's the government has to enact policies that encourage production, not consumption, because Amen. it's production that creates wealth. So again, Ed, yeah, a topic for us, but I still think it's kind of important. Say, <laughs> says law, supply side economics, George Gilder, <laughs> all my favorites. But what do we have on store for next week? Much more relevant to everybody, Ron, and we've already recorded the show, and you guys don't want to miss it. It's called it's the val- how to have the value conversation. We're really thrilled to present that to you. I think it's going to be a great show. It will be. Well, I'll see you then in 167 times two <laughs> hours. All right. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.